Back in the basement, clearing off the cobwebs. It's time to get eight more weeks fired up, OG. And you know what that means. Also time to a shout out. Time to a shout out. I guess the cobwebs have not been cleared. <laughs> they're, still, they're still there. It's time for a shout out to our men and women in the military protecting the United States of America on behalf of Navy Federal Credit Union and the men and women working here at the basement. Let's all go stack some Benjamins together. Here's a song that we'd like to do for all the younger set of people, the teenagers and what have you. This one's called Vacation Zope. Vacation's all that is over, is over. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and when did you become a millionaire? How about a lesson or two on passive income from a woman who retired at 27? Today, we welcome that woman, Rachel Richards, aka The Money Honey, to discuss rental real estate and building your passive income stream. Plus, are you one of the millions of Americans who are contemplating quitting your job? I know I am. We've got your back and some things to think about as you tell your boss au revoir. Later, we'll magnify Curtis's money, who's wondering. His employer has a pension and a 401k. Which should he choose? And I'll make sure to get your income ideas flowing with my toy-themed trivia. And now, two guys who are pretty passive about making any income, it's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Podcasting for a Hobby podcast. I am Joe Salci. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And welcome to another fun eight weeks of podcasting. We have such an amazing lineup, OG, of guests and of headlines. Things are moving. The basement is a flurry of activity, and we're so glad that everybody's here with us. How are you, my friend? I'm having a wonderful Monday. We're going to make it even more wonderful because Rachel Richards is here, financially independent by the time she's 27. Pretty sweet. We're going to talk about how she picked that lock. How about that, man? We got a great show. We got OG here. We got Doug waiting in the wings. But first, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Rachel Richards, the money honey here. Let's move. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Well, Rachel, pour some coffee upstairs with mom. Let's get you a headline. This is a big one. I don't know if you know this, OG. Everybody's quitting their job. Have you seen all these headlines? Uh, Yes. And on an unrelated note. (laughs) Want to have a talk after? Uh, Let's have a talk before. Yes, everyone is uh, quitting their jobs. I think, are they quitting jobs or are they changing jobs? Yeah, changing jobs. There are lots of job openings. That's true. People are looking at moving to some, maybe, hey, if you get a chance to make more money, work in a place you want to work, do something that's yeah. more like you, good good on you, man. Go do it. Now, now's the time. I'll tell you, we were gone for a couple of weeks. We did our trip to Michigan and we were driving back and uh, got stuck in the world's longest McDonald's line. And when you're trying to make time, when you've got an 18-hour drive and you're like burning fossil fuels at McDonald's, just like, oh my goodness, you know, we could eat combos, kids. Combos are at the gas station. That would be fine. And Twizzlers. And I am not exaggerating. I think that at breakfast at this McDonald's, I think we were in southern part of Michigan at this time. I think maybe there were four total people working at McDonald's. Oh, man. I think the person who was taking the orders was running back and like doing work and then coming back and taking orders. They were shorthanded. So shorthanded. Signs everywhere. Free iPhones if you work here. $500 referral fee. But it's affecting everything. Yeah, I think if you're an employer right now, you want to think about what are you doing to retain workers, right? What are yeah. some of the, the worker-friendly policies that you have where you are? I got a piece here from CNBC written by Annie Nova. The next big steps to take after quitting your job. And I think we should take some of these steps or at least think about them, OG, before you go, right? Go ahead and go. Annie writes some good stuff here. She says, before you go, OG, you really want to figure out your health insurance ahead of time. I think it's super important. Yeah. And now it's already, you know, it's July, right? I was starting to get some questions from a friend who has some kids, you know, starting to work now and, and graduating college. And, oh, I think they made the wrong healthcare choice. And I said, gosh, in three or four months, you're going to be making it again. It's almost that time. So if you're thinking about healthcare for the new job, you can also be thinking about it for your current job. You know, what's gone on in the last six months that make you excited about the healthcare plan that you have? Or if you're like the OG family and you've taken lots of trips to the ER this year, personally and with the kids, you know, and you're like, I've burned all of my deductible. Like what else can you do this year? What else is on the agenda that you can that you can kind of get done ahead of time to help lower the cost of that if you've if you've already spent some money? The Consolidated Omnibus Budget Reconciliation Act. I never I've known a lot. I never knew the word omnibus was part of COBRA. Did you? Yeah. I had no idea. That's COBRA, people call it. Allow people who work at companies with twenty or more employees to pay to continue their workplace insurance plan. For certain periods of time, the option's pricey, $600 a month on average. Oof. It's ridiculous. Because 
you're now shouldering the cost of the entire plan and not just the employee part. Yeah. Uh, the employer picks up part of that. Even if you plan to start a new job soon with new insurance, these options might be worth exploring, she writes, because there may be a gap in your coverage. Second thing she talks about is your retirement savings. Once you quit, if you've had access to a 401k, you have to decide what to do with that money too, OG. Yeah, and do nothing is an answer also. You don't have to actually do something. You can let it sit. And by the way, neither of these things so far, health insurance nor uh, 401k things, are things that you have to deal with the day after you quit. Because it takes a while for them to process all of that paperwork and to contact all the people and all the places that the employer does business with to let them know that you're not there anymore. So if you call Fidelity the day after you quit your job and go, hey, I quit my job, I want to you know, roll over my 401k, Fidelity's going to go, nah, that's not what we have. So I would wait 30 days anyway. Same thing with health insurance. You have 30 days to decide. You don't have to do it that minute. Plenty of time to do your due diligence. But you have to do something. You know, you can't put it off. You know, you don't want to take loans from your 401k. That's a whole different uh, podcast. But if you've been relying on your 401k as a de facto cash reserve, when you leave, this thing makes a great point. You, you probably are going to have some limits now on loans or withdrawals from that account. So it's not your personal money vending machine anymore without some pretty serious consequences. Yeah, it's, it, you know, when people who say, oh, I can get money out of my 401k if I need it. If you change jobs and you owe money, that's a big problem. A lot of companies are going to make you pay that back right then, or it turns into taxable income. Or like you said, once you quit, you lose that privilege to be able to do a withdrawal or a loan. And of course, you can't do a loan from an IRA. So if you roll it over, you can't do that either. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's gone, which is another reason, by the way, to have your emergency fund, man, we've got, we've got a headline we're going to do on Wednesday about the need for emergency funds. And how often have we gotten pushback from people that I don't need an emergency fund? Emergency funds are for losers. I have a credit card. Yes. I got, Hey, if I, if I need money, I just go to my credit and uh, that's, change it again for some people. And we'll cover that in a couple of days. But for today though, that emergency fund, especially if you're changing jobs and the uncertainty of changing jobs, yeah. I mean, I'll give you, I'll give you a personal example about uh, moving to a different state and my own spouse taking a different job. And that job wasn't what she thought it was going to be. It was not at all what she had thought. So among lots of other reasons why we moved back to Texas. We're happy that we had the cash reserve and the flexibility because the grass was not, uh, I don't want to say greener because she didn't think it was greener, but the grass didn't look at all the way it looked like from the other side of the fence. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Gives you flexibility. Yeah. A lot of new jobs are about work environment too. I was just having a, a back and forth email exchange with an old friend who had just changed jobs and was checking in just to say hi. I asked her why she'd left her old job. And she said the company got acquired and it just wasn't a cultural fit was her exact phrase. And you don't know that when you're applying, right? I mean, right. so hard. You can know the benefits, you can know the people you talk to initially, but then you go and you sit at this desk with this whole other group of people and surprise, you don't get along with the person in the next cubicle and it becomes a living hell. I want to go back for just a second to what to do with the retirement plan. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because, of course, we're talking about quitting your job. But there are three options that you have. 
you can either leave it like OG, you said, you can roll it over to your new 401k. You can roll it over to an IRA. Those are the three, by the way, a lot of people don't choose any of those three. They make up a fourth one, which is they take it out and they, I was going to say, you can take it out. Yeah. And they, and they use it for a car down payment. They pay a big tax penalty and, uh, end up buying a depreciating asset with it, right? And it's so slippery. But the other thing I think you got to be aware of is if you've only been at that company for a little while, a lot of companies have minimum account sizes now. If you're changing jobs and you've just been enrolled in your 401k for a short period of time, you may be forced to take the money out oh. if the balance isn't you know above 5000 or above 10000 or something. So there may be a little proactivity that you have to have, but they don't, they don't just blindside you with that. They do send you a note to say, hey, this is what's happening, but but you want to be on top of your on top of your money if you're quitting. Hey, it's time for our TikTok minute. Man, I missed this last week when we were off. Each week that we have a show on Monday, we feature someone on TikTok making a lot of sense. And sometimes they make a ton of sense, and sometimes I have to say that uh, tongue in cheek. But today, I don't know. We'll all see together if this TikToker makes sense. OG, here is just another reason not to become a day trader. You have to stop dating day traders. Ladies, if a man says he's a day trader, cut it, go, you got to leave. That, that, that's the same exact thing as them telling me that the Wolf of Wall Street's their favorite movie. It just makes me run in the opposite direction. And I encourage you all to do the same. That's not a career. And I'm not saying he needs to have a career, but if his career is being a day trader, you book it, bro. So if you're using that line, single people, what do you do? I'm a day trader. You might, you might want to come up with something new. Well, I, I suppose if you want to date this specific TikToker, but uh, day trading, getting no love from literally from, from, from TikTok. It's, that's pretty brutal. And is the Wolf of Wall Street your favorite movie? A second favorite, but yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite Wall Street? Exactly. Wall Street one and two. Oh, Wall Street two was so bad. It was so it was it wasn't even close to good. Shia LaBeouf. He didn't even come across like he was. I I never once uh, believed his character. That, that was such a disappointment. I was so excited because I love the movie Wall Street. But yeah. maybe I should maybe I should stop talking about that. Not attractive to talk about how that's my favorite movie. Are you trying to pick up chicks on TikTok? I'm not, but oh. I keep telling Cheryl which of my scenes are my favorites, and, and I find that she comes home from <laughs> she comes home from work later and later and later. The more I do that, the more I talk about how I'm my inner day trading on my TD Ameritrade account. So I think the lesson is uh, stop talking about your day trading activity on your dates. But no, the real lesson here, OG, I think is it's a great time to go look for a new job. I think this is a fantastic time to go look for a new job. There's opportunities all over the place, but by the same token, OG, you got to have some forethought. I don't think you just YOLO your way into the new career. Yeah. It's a great time, but it's a great time for those that are prepared and execute well. Man, I got a guy behind me who has not been here. <laughs> I haven't seen in a week. So happy that he's back getting comfortable again. All right, Doug, let's do some trivia. there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And oh man, am I excited to hear Rachel Richards talk passive income. 
Joe, I know Rachel is on deck, but I've developed some sweet passive income ideas on my own. How's this for passive? A fantasy book series? Look, listen, just hear me out. There's this wizard, Harold, and he has to take this ring and throw it into this volcano, but he's got to overcome his dad trying to turn him into the dark side. I think I can crank that out in a weekend. All right, well, hold on, dude. (laughs) First of all, I just got to tell you, after writing a book myself, by the way, it's called Stack, the Super Serious Guide to Money Man- Modern Money Management, and it's available in bookstores everywhere on December 28th, but available to pre-order now. Book writing, dude, not a passive income thing. And second, it sounds like you just totally ripped off Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, and Star Wars all at the same time. Never heard of those books, Joe, but you couldn't be more wrong. Just get some imagination, all right? How about if you just get us some trivia, my friend? All right, fine, Joe. But here's a pro tip. Today's show is about passive income, not passive aggression. All right, listen. On this date in 1960, the 10th best-selling toy of all time went on sale. None other than the Etch-A-Sketch. So the question is, can you name one of the top five best-selling toys of all time? I'll be back with your answer faster than you can think of your own best-selling fantasy series. Well, OG, I know that you looked into leaving your money invested and instead taking out an auto loan through Navy Federal and talked about how easy that was with me. And for all you stackers, whether you're looking at buying your first car, your dream car, auto purchases, you know, are a big investment. Well, there's A lot of things to consider, like how much does the car cost? Can I lower that price tag? What's the down payment going to be if I take a loan? What's the interest rate on that loan? Which, of course, OG was part of your decision making and monthly payment schedules. Navy Federal Credit Union makes it simple with their fast and easy auto loan process. You can apply online on their mobile app or by phone. So fast, you'll get a decision in seconds and you're going to enjoy rates as low as 1.79% APR. Navy Federal guides you through finding a monthly payment that you can afford after you've negotiated that uh, purchase price down. Remember, it's all about the purchase price first, not about the payment. If you're working with a car lot, you'll often find that what the what the auto loan people there are going to do, they're going to lead you to payment first. You, don't worry about the payment until you've successfully negotiated down that price stackers, but Navy federal then can work you through lots of different options and it's all super fast and at low rates. You can even estimate by the way, your monthly payments and interest rate on their auto loan calculator ahead of time, credit and collateral subject to approval rates subject to change are based on credit worthiness, advertised rate available for new vehicles, message and data rates may apply. Find out more at navyfederal.org insured by NCUA. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. 
Well, if you're new to Stacking Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things. So I know what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money. And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad-free privacy you can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because... Well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. Hey there, stackers. So, Joe, get this. Oh, Mike, what is it this time, dude? Okay, there, Mr. Grumpy. I'm only coming to you with probably the idea that'll make us both rich. Oh, let's hear it. So here's the thing. It doesn't really even matter if the book has flaws. Have you ever read any of Susie Orman's books? Look, the key is selling these puppies. So here's where the magic happens. Hear me out. I got three people underneath us selling the books, and then they each find three other people to sell the books for them. Pretty soon, these things are just selling themselves. It's flawless. I think that sounds... That's like a pyramid scheme, dude. Can we can we just get Rachel Richards down here? Fine, Joe. But first, let's get these people their trivia answer. The question was, what are the top five best-selling toys of all time? Well, at number five, it's the Rubik's Cube with 350 million units sold worldwide. And at number four, with tens of millions of these little eggs sold every year for the last 50 years, it's Silly Putty. Coming in at number three with billions of cars sold, Hot Wheels. At number two, it's Lego. And our big winner, at number one, it's none other than Barbie. Yeah, good idea. Let's leave it to a bunch of men in the 50s to create a woman who does all the work. All right, fine. So much for me sharing. Let's bring on Rachel Richards. first guest kicking off this eight weeks of shows is just a phenomenal young woman. She is somebody who by the age of 26 owned, I think, and I'm going to ask her, I think she had 38 different doors and she was buying multi-family real estate, but 38 different places by the age of 26. Uh, She worked for a short while as a financial advisor. She's been featured all over the place. However, the reason I wanted Rachel to kick off these eight weeks, OG, number one is she's doing this stuff when she's young, 
But remember, there's never a right time to get started except now, right? You can't go back and do what Rachel did, but you can start today to make things better. And there's just some simple steps and you're going to hear, I'm sure, Rachel's mindset on this. But even going a little bit narrower, we talk a lot about stocks and bonds, but also real estate can be a great way to reach your financial goals. I'm going to quiz Rachel on how she did that. It's not for everybody, but having these income streams that are also reliable coming from other places, we need to get into that too. Let's say hi to her. Rachel Richards coming down to the basement. And here she is on my dad shortwave. Rachel Richards is here. How are you? Hey, Joe. I'm great. Thank you. How are you? I am fantastic as we pretend that we're doing this for the first time because the first time I didn't press record. (laughs) (laughs) But luckily, we didn't get that far in. So you are known as the money honey, but I I can't call you that because the Ramones and I, we think of Maria Bartiromo as the money honey. So do you get that comparison a lot that people confuse the two of you? You know, I don't. And she's for sure the OG, but I don't. And I think it's because I work with mostly Gen Z and millennials and they don't know who she is. (laughs) They they got no idea. Well, I think it's a great comparison anyway, right? If they do, you're like, hey, that's fantastic. Yes, for sure. Not bad. So I'm going to ask the impolite question right away. They say you don't talk about different things. And one is you, you don't ask people their age, right? How old are you? So let's start there. Yes, I'm 29 and totally okay to ask me because I think it's relevant to the story, but I'm 29 years old. It totally is when people see where we're headed. How many pieces of real estate do you own now? My husband and I built a real estate portfolio of 38 doors by the time I was 26 years old. And we own less than that now because we've sold a few buildings. Why did you sell? We sold because we got to a point in our real estate investing journey where time was more important than money. So I think starting out as a new investor, you typically have less money and you have more time. So you're willing to hustle and go out there and find good deals and even self-manage your properties starting out. And I think that's an important thing. And then later on, as you get more and more units, you're forced to delegate. Maybe the money that you're making is not as important to you anymore. And it becomes about protecting your most valuable resource, which is your time. So we got to this point with our rentals where it was definitely becoming a hassle. We've mostly self-managed and that's part of the reason. So we did look into just hiring a property manager versus selling. And my thought was, I started learning about real estate syndications. And I was like, well, let's sell the properties And then we can transition the equity from those into real estate syndications, which is much more passive. And then we have the best of both worlds. That's funny. This theme of passive income for people that don't know you, they have no idea that that's what we're going to be talking about for the next 20 minutes because you're fascinated by that. You said in an interview somewhere, Rachel, that you were reading finance books in high school. You were a money nerd in high school. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I've been a money nerd my whole life. One of the first ones I read that turned me onto real estate investing was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It's funny because you see him now, right? And all the controversy that he's had. Do you feel differently about him now than you did when you first read it? You know, I I am a fan of, I guess, the book more so than than him. And, and you know, I could say the same thing about Dave Ramsey. I'm, I'm a fan of certain things that Dave Ramsey teaches. And then you get to a point where you kind of have to graduate from that and learn how to use debt as leverage so that you can build true wealth. So I think we can learn important things from these people. 
they don't necessarily need to be people that we look up to anymore. Who, who turned you on to that book in high school? Because I can't imagine, you know, at 14 or whatever age you were when you read it, you're like, hey, let's go hang out in the money section. I don't know. I don't remember who turned it on to me, but I was even reading finance books in middle school. I read um, The Intelligent Investor in high school. I mean, I was totally into learning about the stock market, even at a pretty young age. Was it then The, the Intelligent Investor, obviously more about stocks and bonds, was it Robert Kiyosaki then that made you leave with real estate versus stocks? Yes, I think something with real estate investing clicked for me because I was putting together these pieces of a puzzle and the puzzle was passive income. Like passive income is the ultimate solution. And, and you're right, I'm obsessed with the concept. And when I learned about real estate investing and how you can make ongoing cash flow and, and build up wealth, and equity in the long term, I was like, wow, there's so many different benefits here. I mean, when you invest in real estate, there's four benefits. There's cash flows, passive income. There is equity buildup because your tenants are paying your mortgage for you over time. So after 30 years, you own a property free and clear, having only paid the down payment. There's tax benefits, depreciation being a huge one. And number four, which I always count as a bonus, is appreciation. Properties don't always appreciate, but when they do, that's even more equity that you have. So when I saw that compared to stock market investing, I was like, real estate investing is my way out of the rat race. This is my path to financial independence. And I think investing in a stock market is important as well. You need to be diversified. But I think that with real estate investing, that is the path to early retirement and financial independence. Well, but what's funny is you're thinking about getting out of the rat race before you're even in the damn rat race. Yeah, that is very true. <laughs> I, I always knew I'm such an independent thinker. And I, I always knew, even at a young age, I would never be happy working for somebody else. You've talked elsewhere about the fact that you grew up in a wealthy neighborhood and you had kind of this fear driving you, right? This um, uh, maybe feeling that I'm not, uh, I don't know if it's I'm not keeping up or, but you have talked about the fact that this fear of not having security where you saw security with other people around you. Tell me about that. And is that, and, and, and by the way, in this whole discussion, you haven't mentioned like mom and dad being money geeks too. Yes. Okay. So, and I wouldn't say my mom and dad were money geeks. I learned things from them and I learned also what not to do financially from them. And I'm glad for those lessons. I'm grateful for those lessons. But we grew up in a very wealthy county, very unrealistic bubble to grow up in. So we weren't in poverty. We always had food on the table. We were never struggling in that way. But I was playing the comparison game because of the people we were surrounded by the mansions. I mean, to give you some context, some of the kids in my high school got brand new BMWs when they turned 16. What? You didn't get a BMW 16? <laughs> no. And I still don't have one and I never got a new car. <laughs> so yeah, my family was not operating that way. We were not going, even going out to eat at restaurants, let alone driving new cars or going on trips as a family. So at a pretty young age, I felt like I didn't fit in. And that's not the way you want to feel in middle school and in high school. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't want to end up like everyone else struggling with money. I don't want to have to operate on a strict budget for the rest of my life. I don't want to have to borrow money from family and friends to make it to my next paycheck. I wanted to be different. And I realized that what I did then could either set me up for wealth or for poverty. So that kind of lit a fire under me. You know, I did have fears of not having enough money because that's the household I grew up in. There was never enough money. Money was always a stressor. We never knew how we were going to pay the next utility bill. And I had those fears and those limiting beliefs. And they say that fear can be 
paralyzing or motivating. Luckily for me, it was very motivating. And I used that fear to educate myself and build a real estate empire and have financial independence. Yeah. They say that mom says, uh, what comparison is the thief of joy that it makes your life a little less joyful. It, it, I don't get this feeling that you compare yourself a lot anymore though. Um, yeah, no, not anymore. And I think people compare the wrong things. So on social media, when someone is comparing themselves to this other person who's taking trips and doing really nice kitchen renovations, they're only seeing the surface level. They're seeing somebody else's highlight reel. But is that person fulfilled? Is that person happy? Do they have meaningful relationships? Are they loved? Because those are the things that matter. And as I've accumulated more wealth, I've realized that money does not give you any of those things that I just named. So money gives you the ability to be comfortable. Yes. And I like that. (laughs) I like being able to travel and do all these cool things. But when you really think about what are the things that fulfill you and are meaningful in your life, none of them are things that money can buy. Uh, I love that. You can be rich and miserable at the same time if you choose to be. Yeah. (laughs) Well, so you saw yourself differently. You were different than a lot of the kids around you. Yet when you go to college and I've noticed uh, while I was doing research, your college brags about you, right? Your college loves saying that you uh, went there. Was your college experience the same as everybody else's? And did you go get the same job that everybody else gets out of college? (laughs) Uh, No, (laughs) that's hilarious. Actually, my college experience was so, so different than my peers because most of my peers growing up, their parents were going to be paying for their tuition for them. I was like one of the only people in my high school, I I felt like that I was going to have to pay my way through school. So I graduated from high school having a lot of fears. You were going to pay a hundred, you're going to pay a hundred percent of it yourself. Yes. A hundred percent room and board, everything. So I had a lot of fears because I knew what student debt could do and how crippling that could be based off of what I'd read and what I'd seen. And I was like, how am I going to, I don't want to graduate with debt. How am I going to do this? So I took an interview for a direct sales position with Cutco Cutlery. Have you heard of Cutco <laughs> Knives by any chance? <laughs> yes. yes. Are you going to hard close me at the end of this interview? Yeah, I'll be selling you on the on the ultimate set <laughs> by the end right. of the interview, actually. <laughs> I'll be sweating over here, right? <laughs> yeah. And so I took this direct sales position. I was so excited because it was the first time I'd been exposed to something where the harder you work, the more money you could make. And I knew I could outwork anybody, like my drive and my ambition and my work ethic. So I started selling knives. I killed it. I crushed it. I made, I set some sales records. I paid my way through school and I graduated debt-free at the age of 20. I want another thing I know that chased you out, but I don't know how or why. I just know that when you and I were speaking briefly before this back and forth, that you said you also had a particularly abusive boss and that must've also moved you toward independence. Oh gosh. Yes. This woman was cruel. I mean, brutal, not only to me, but to her employees, made people cry, screamed at people through the walls of the office where we could hear what was going on and the conversations that were being had. And there's this one particular moment I will never forget. I'd been working there for a few months already. So I already had the fear in me. When she walked up to the office door and came in, my heart would race and I would be scared of what was to come. That's the impact that she had on me. But she asked me for some letterhead. She's like, hey, find the letterhead, Rachel. Where's the letterhead? I'm frantically searching on the computer desktop to print something out for her. I've ne- we've never used letterhead. This is the first time I'm hearing about the letterhead. So I'm frantically searching. She's behind me with her arms crossed, tapping her heel, literally just waiting right behind me. And after about 10 seconds, she walks over to this bookshelf, this dusty bookshelf, pulls out the letterhead, brings it back over to me, 
hold it in front of my face, like two inches from my face. And she goes, what do I even pay you for? And it was just nasty. Like who, I mean, what an awful way to be treated. And I just remember my gut sinking and I'm a smart, confident person, but she made me feel like the dumbest person alive. And I just had so many issues with my self-esteem and working for her. And it was just such an emotionally abusive environment. She did make me cry a couple of times. And I do remember one time looking in the mirror in the bathroom as, as I was trying to clean up and thinking to myself, I am never going to be trapped in a job because of money or because of financial constraints. I'm going to find a way to get out of this. And that, and that was like, 12 months before I bought my first rental property. Wow. Talk about motivation. Yeah. I mean, and luckily not all of my bosses have been like that. I've had some incredible bosses, but even the bosses who nitpicked me for leaving at 4.30 or 4.45 every day, even though I got in at 7.30, it's just like, really, are you're measuring my value to the company by the hours I put in and not by the results that I'm getting. And so there's just things like that where I was not made to be working for another person. I needed to have my independence and my freedom and my flexibility. Uh, a lot of people, when they introduce you, they say that you retired at age 27. And I have to guess that there came a time, and I don't know, Rachel, if this was just mathematics and you were waiting for the mathematics to work, or if there was a trigger and you're like, you know what, I don't care what it is, I can make, I can make work starting right now. But do you remember where you were when you said it's time to walk away from, quote, you know, work, where you were at that moment? Absolutely. It was actually 2018 when I came to that realization. And my husband and I had this goal of getting to $10,000 a month in passive income. And I mean like passive profit. So that part was math. Yes. And we got that number because I think we were spending something like $6,000 a month on living expenses, which has creeped up over time. And we just wanted to have enough buffer room to cover that and still be able to save money or just have a little bit extra in case we overspent that month. So 10K was the number. We actually hit that in 2018, and that more than replaced my full-time income. I never made six figures from a job or career. So that more than replaced my full-time income, and by 2018, I could have quit. The problem was, when it came down to actually quitting, it was, it was really hard to go through with it, because it was this scary thing. Obviously, I, I questioned myself because I was walking away from a lucrative corporate finance career, something where I could potentially have become the CFO at this company within 10 or 15 years. So it feels like security, right? It feels like security. Yes. And it was, am I crazy to be walking away from this? And also projecting my own fears onto my family and friends, because my family and friends were overwhelmingly supportive. But I remember thinking constantly thinking like, well, what are they going to think of me? Are they going to think I'm crazy? And none of them thought I was crazy. They were all like proud or envious, like jealous, but in like a nice way that I could do this. And they were like, man, I wish I could do this. So they were all very supportive. I was just projecting my own fears onto, you know, what, what other people might think of me. So it took me an entire year to actually go through with quitting my job. I quit in 2019 and it is definitely one of the best things that I've ever done. That's you haven't looked back since. No, I have not looked back since. If anything, I should have quit sooner, but I think most people have the opposite problem or maybe they They quit too soon. They take a leap of faith, hoping that the net will appear. They don't have any income streams to fall back on. They don't have a huge savings account to fall back on. And I don't recommend doing it that way because you don't want to be operating out of a place of panic and desperation when it comes to starting a business. So my husband and I were very intentional about let's get to 10K a month in income. Let's fully replace your full-time income before you quit. And once we were able to do that, it wasn't a financial fear at all. It was just 
my own personal fears. You had enough cushion then that financially you didn't have to worry about it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm really not a fan of this word retired. And I also, by the way, don't like the argument, right? Because you and I see this all online all the time. Oh, are they really retired? Are they making money off their blog or whatever? It's, it's just stupidity. But that said, you really, you really aren't retired. I see you all over the place. Like, what's your definition of this word retired or definition of what you are now? Yeah. And I, and maybe I should stop using that word because I use retired and financially independent interchangeably. So to me, when I say retired, I mean, I'm financially independent. It doesn't mean that I'm not working. And that's the big distinction. Cause a lot of people will be like, well, Rachel, you're not retired. You're still working. And I'm like, well, yeah, I love, you know, I love to work for me. It's now about working when, where, and if I want. So our passive income is up to 15, 20 K a month. Now I certainly don't need to keep working and neither does my husband but I am so fortunate to have built a business that I am so passionate about. I'm so fulfilled by. It's not about the money anymore. It's that I just want to make a greater impact and help more women and young people with money management. So that's what I spend my time doing. Let's dive into it then, into the tactics of what you do. And I know this is the part that excites both, both you and I as nerds, is the way I understand it. Your goal is to really short circuit this idea of having a couple million dollars and using the 4% rule and living off of $80,000 a year and finding a quicker way to get there. And by doing it, by creating these income streams. But as I've heard you talk about this in other places, I think to myself, you still have to have a portfolio of houses that's worth a fair amount of money to be able to fuel that income stream to create that income stream. I mean, when, when you had 30 something houses, I would have to imagine that was millions of dollars worth of real estate. Yes. And it was 38 doors, not houses. So it was six buildings. Gotcha. Okay. You're, yeah. You're correct. But the difference between saving up two and a half million as a nest egg and having two and a half million worth of real estate is leverage. Ah, so yeah. it's so difficult. And this is why I talk about the nest egg theory, which is this theory that we accumulate this nest egg, $2 million by age 65, so that we can retire and live off of that for the rest of our lives. There are so many problems with that. And I can go into detail on that. But I have personally thought that it's easier to generate passive income streams. So I could build a portfolio of two and a half million worth of real estate with only $500,000 by putting a 20% down payment down and then leveraging the rest. Whereas if I'm trying to save up two and a half million, I have to actually have two and a half million in the bank. So you can get there a lot faster with real estate investing and just the idea of passive income in and of itself. Saving $2 million by working for 40 years, working a nine to five job is difficult to do. It's, I think it's overwhelming to think you have to save 2 million by age 65. Like I don't know many multimillionaires. So when I heard about this concept of passive income, which is recurring income that requires little to no effort to maintain. I thought to myself, I think it's a lot easier to create five or six or $8,000 a month in passive income. And the epiphany I had a few years ago is that once your passive income exceeds your living expenses, you're retired, you're financially independent. And so that's what we started working towards. Let me dive into a couple of things there. Number one, you know, you and I both know, Rachel, that people hear the word leverage and they get nervous. When you say leverage, you act like, no, this is the answer. I mean, I could just hear it in your voice. Nope. This is the answer. Talk some people off the leverage uh, ledge on why this is great and not horrible. Yeah. And because a lot of people are like, well, what about risk? You got to account for risk. And yes, of course you, if you are leveraged, if you're taking on a down payment 
and leveraging to buy a real estate investment property, that's higher risk, right? What if the bank calls your loan due? Then what do you do? There is more risk involved. There's more liability when you're dealing with tenants. But I think there's a difference in being leveraged and being over leveraged. Being over leveraged is what you want to avoid. And if you buy too many properties, only putting three and a half percent or five percent down by doing house hacking or whatever other method, you run the risk of being over leveraged and going underwater on the mortgages on your property, where if the market goes down, suddenly the your properties are worth less than what you owe on them. So that's a risky position to be in. However, with our real estate portfolio, we've put 20 to 25% down on every single property that we own. And from the lender's point of view, that's very safe. That's a good amount of, of leverage. So I don't feel over leveraged. I don't feel at risk. I run so many scenarios when I buy a property to make sure that I'm not going to be in trouble. So I knew going into COVID last year, when everyone lost a lot of rental income, I knew that I could afford to lose 50% of rent and still break even on my properties. Oh. And I knew that because I run a break even analysis before I purchase a property because I always want to understand how much rent would it take? How much would I have to reduce rent by just to break even on this property? And then I know what my wiggle room is, what my margin for error is. 50% is an enormous margin of error. And so that's what happened last April. We lost essentially 50% of our rents. We we went from making $10,000 a month in rental profit to making $0 last April. It all came came true. Yes, it all came true. And the only reason I wasn't completely panicked that month is because I had all these other income streams keeping me afloat because we believe in income diversification. How can we have passive income coming in from as many sources as possible? Now, after April, 2020, things picked back up immediately and we're totally back to normal. So it was only a one month thing, but that's how you can be safe with leverage and protect yourself as an investor. Are all of your properties multi-unit properties or do you also like single homes? The only single family homes we own are ones that we used to live in as our primary residences. So we've never purposefully or intentionally bought a single family home as an investment. I prefer multifamily because you're already building in diversification in a way. So with the single family house, if you have one tenant and the tenant's not paying or you're going through an eviction, you don't have any money coming in. In a quad, a fourplex, if you have one tenant that's doing that, but the other three are paying rent, chances are you're still making money or at least breaking even. So I think it's it's just a less risky way to approach real estate investing. You all, you also mentioned earlier that you were taking care of the houses yourself. You were self-managing them. Did you do that to get experience or did you do that to save money? Why did you Why did you manage it yourself? It was both. It was equal parts both. We wanted to have the experience of knowing exactly how this worked because we knew that there would be a time where we would hire a property manager and we wanted to have the knowledge to correctly manage them yeah. and to to understand, well, actually, I know that I can fill a vacancy within 48 hours. So I know it's possible. So why aren't you able to do that? Why is it taking you four weeks to fill a vacancy? So I think it's it's really helpful to have that experience. And also, of course, it saved us a ton of money starting out as well so that we could purchase the next house even faster. You now it's funny, you're a real estate investor, but just before you hit record, you told me that you guys are nomads right now. You don't own a house that you live in yourself right now. Yeah, we're, we're homeless. We don't have a house to go back to. So we're actually spending the rest of the year traveling, going from Airbnb to Airbnb all over the West coast. I did that last year, Rachel, and it was so, so damn fun, but you're in wine country right now. 
we are in wine country. We're in Sonoma and I can't wait to go on some of these wine tours. <laughs> that, that that could be problematic though. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. I don't have, I don't have a lot of work booked in the next three weeks. Cause I know I'm going to be drinking a lot of wine instead. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's good strategy, right? And there's your flexibility, right? You don't have to worry about it. You can go do what you want and you still have money coming in every month. Yes. Yes. The beauty of passive income. I'll never forget. I was traveling one time with my sisters in Spain and this was like January, 2020. And I happened to just look at my book sales the next morning. I, you know, we slept overnight. I looked at my book sales the next morning and I'd sold 500 books overnight. Oh my God. And it, yeah. It was something like $2,000. And I was like, I remember it clicking for me like, wow, this is literal passive income. I made that money while I was sleeping. And just one of the coolest moments. You go over in your books, you've got five different ways to do passive income. There's lots of tips. You've got your Amazon bestseller, Money Honey. And and and, and I love this title, by the way, Passive Income, Aggressive Retirement. Just absolutely, <laughs> absolutely awesome title. You also teach people. You have uh, a fantastic TikTok presence. I can't dance, so I don't have a TikTok presence. <laughs> uh, tell everybody the best way to get a hold of you. Thank you, Joe. Yeah, I can be followed on TikTok and Insta at Money Honey Rachel. Both of my books are on Amazon and ebook paperback and audio. And what I'd love to do for your listeners is give them my passive income starter kit for free. So if anyone wants to download that, you can go to moneyhoneyrachel.com slash bonus. Awesome. And you know what? If you're walking the dog or on your commute, for those of you that still commute, We've got you covered. We will have that link and links to all of Rachel's stuff on our show notes page at stackybedjamins.com. And also for those of you that get our guide, uh, we'll also have them in the guide. Rachel, thanks a ton for hanging out with us and and talking passive income and and telling your story. That's it's so fascinating. I, I just can't believe I can't believe you were you were a money nerd that young. That just <laughs> still cracks me up. Yes. And thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. Hey, this is Joe Crane, host of Veteran on the Move podcast. And when I'm not helping veterans transition to entrepreneurship, I'm stacking Benjamins. Huge thanks to Rachel for joining us. Oh, gee, there's an inspiring story. How come you weren't financially secure by the time you were 27? Oh, because it was more fun to be up to my eyeballs in debt. <laughs> it's a whole different path, isn't it? It's a different path. I think there's That's a right. lesson here. You know, Rachel talks about how everybody looks one way and it's important to look the other way. And I think about that over time, right? Sir John Templeton famously said the same thing when it came to picking investments back before index funds came around. His general premise was with Templeton Mutual Funds, if everybody looks to the right, I immediately look left. Yep. That's not a bad, not a bad thing. And she talks about how Robert Kiyosaki really started the journey for it. Of course, Robert Kiyosaki's had his uh, share of uh, personal issues and bankruptcy. But I also think there's a good point there, which is you don't have to throw away the, what's that? The, what does mom say? The baby with the bathwater, right? There can still be great lessons from maybe the, not the most optimal teachers. Yeah. Well, I think that, uh, you know, you have to recognize that with any, especially like somebody like Kiyosaki or somebody a little polarizing, Dave Ramsey, maybe the part of their message is them themselves, you know, and their personal story that goes with that is going to, is going to slant their opinion about it. And then once they get a personality style and God forbid a $10 million contract, 
all of a sudden they have to kind of double down on that. That has to be what they're known for. I think what Rachel demonstrates is that there's a lot of different paths to success and it doesn't have to be one particular thing. And if one way works for one person, that doesn't mean that it's not going to work for another person. You know what I mean? Like there's, yeah. there's multiple paths to financial independence. And this is one of those ways where you hear some of these air quote gurus and they say, well, the only way to do it is this. The only way to do it is this. Well, that ought to tell you a little something. And I love that. I find that so empowering that you don't have to do it the way that somebody else did it. By the same token, though, OG, there is some math, right? Some basic math. You can't just say, well, hey, I'm doing it different than you. We, we all know people like this that have said, well, I'm just doing it different. No, you are running into a brick wall, my friend. You are running into a wall that goes to nowhere. There still needs to be a plan, right? There's 50 different types of restaurants, but successful restaurants all have a plan. And I feel like it's a little bit like uh, Michael Gerber's book, The E-Myth where you learn how to bake a cake the right way first, and then you can break it. Like Christina Tosi, who created uh, Milk Bar, you know, who decided that I'm not going to put all kinds of frosting all over my cake. Well, first you learn how to make it with the frosting right? and the way everybody else makes it. And then once you're good at that, then you, then you know how to break it. And clearly her cake is better than mine. And by the way, if I just lost you on uh, Christina Tosi, there is a fantastic season of Chef's Table, which is all about dessert chefs. And there's a Christina Tosi episode, one of my favorite episodes of that entire series. Uh, And that is a series, by the way, where you kind of cherry pick, right? Uh, uh, Dominique Crenn, who Mm -hmm. you've met. uh, It's a wonderful episode. Uh, Grant Atchett's up at Alinea amazing episode. Christina Tosi, really good. Some other ones I've kind of slept through. The dude in Argentina who buries food with coals and then digs it out like a day later after it's been in with coals just kind of lost me. If I'm ever out in the backyard burying my food. Lighting it on fire and then burying it. (laughs) Cheryl's like, what the hell are you doing? Cooking. Making steaks. Yeah, making steaks. You'll see. It'll be amazing on Tuesday. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions, OG. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. Summertime, baby. Pools and barbecue. I was missing your pool this last week. I was thinking about driving my butt to Dallas just to... And considering we weren't in town, you could have. No one would have known. It's it's why they made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now for a free quote. Their application, it's simple. It's online. You're going to get an instant coverage decision. It's affordable prices and all their policies issued by Mass Mutual, which is more than 160 years old. Today, we're throwing out the lifeline to our new friend, Curtis. Say hello, Curtis. Hi, Joe and OG. I'm a first-time listener, long-time caller. Got a question on uh, my 401k at work. I've had a pension that has paid 3% every year, and the company just announced that they are trying to phase out the pension for current employees and are giving an option to adjust our 401k contribution from 3.5% if you contribute 6% to 8% if you contribute 8% of your paycheck. 
sounds great to me and it sounds very logical to go with the 401k. I can control my money. It's put in every month. It's timely instead of waiting for the one-time annual contribution at the end of the fiscal year. Just curious on if I'm not thinking about some sort of protection from a pension that I should be. Curious of your thoughts and uh, your perspectives. I'm a size small, but I don't mean to brag about it. So I look forward to getting the code so I can get that sweet Kelly Green new shirt. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> How long do you think you worked on that? Something like one take. That is just a fantastic call. Thanks, Curtis, for the call. And uh, congratulations on being a size small. But uh, let's let's dive into this, OG. They're phasing out the pension. What's going on there? Well, this is happening. I mean, I'm surprised that there's any companies left that have pensions. You know, this transition has been happening since the 1970s. Companies trying to shift the the burden of retirement planning to the employee as opposed to the employer. And what that looks like is some sort of company matching in a 401k instead of guaranteeing lifetime income. So it's not surprising that this is happening. And I would expect if you have a pension presently, it's probably going to happen to yours. And if you're, even if you're retired, we see lots of uh, lump sum pension offers for, for retirees that come across the table every so often of like, well, instead of getting your $2,000 a month pension from this company for the next 30 years, why don't we just give you a check of 700000 a day and go away? It just changed the liability structure of the organization. There's lots of benefits to the company to do that. As it relates to Curtis, since he's still working, or at least that's kind of my assumption, is, is that he's going to be working for a period of time. I would love to have control of my own money. You know, all of the things that he mentioned are are right on. A, it's probably more because it's a it's it's going to be a matching contribution. And I think he said it's three percent instead of five. So boom, there's five. Secondly, you get to invest the money probably more aggressively. Pensions are generally pretty conservative in their investment structure. And getting the money now versus waiting 30 years for it is a benefit as well. So uh, so all of those are great. The downside, of course, is that you're in charge now. You don't get to blame anybody if you don't have enough money in retirement. You know, that person to blame is you. You didn't invest it correctly. If you spend too much, if you uh, uh, don't save enough, all of that's on you. That being said, I would still rather have that responsibility than leave it to the Leave it to my company. Therein is the frustration, though, is people without systems and without the, uh, I don't want to say discipline, because, oh, gee, it's, it's just super easy to go in there and set it up one time so that it automatically works the way that you want it to, to make up for the fact that you don't have that pension. But how many times have you seen people that go, yeah, I want that responsibility, but you know what? I'm going to take just a year off first. Yeah. I'll take one year off and then one year becomes two, two becomes seven, seven becomes the rest of your career. And then it's your company's fault that you don't have enough money. Right. You, you, you have to go in there and set up the automatic payment into your 401k. Super easy to do. And once you've done it, it'll automatically work that way until you change it, which by the way, OG, don't you think then set yourself a reminder maybe twice a year to jack up that contribution a little more if, if you can. Yeah. I'm a big fan of, of increasing it in half or full percent increments until, until you cry uncle, you know, do it this month and then raise it 1%. I mean, 1% on, you know, a, a $60,000 a year salary, you know, it's not that, it's not that much. 600 bucks. You see some of these big numbers 
like, you know, tens of thousands of dollars people will save into their 401k. But then you talk to these people and they go, well, but you divide that by every paycheck or every day. It's not that much money every day, but it turns out to be these big things. I think it was, you know, one of Tony Robbins lines that the average person overestimates what they can do in a day, but because none of those things on their daily to-do list are long-term things, they underestimate what they can get done in a year. Yeah. If they make just a little bit of that stuff that is lasting and ongoing. So it can be, can be very powerful. Thanks for that question, Curtis. Uh, Gertrude, our room mother in the basement, has got you covered. She has your code coming your way, my friend. Uh, Thanks for the call. If you've got a question for OG and I, head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. And that's how we will throw out the lifeline to you and help you solve your money problem. And if you have bigger money problems... And by that, I mean, you need to make better financial decisions while OG and his team are taking clients. So head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash OG, and that's the link to their calendar. And you'll find out how their team works and how they can interface with you to make better financial decisions. When you're ready for a financial planner, that's the number for that. If you got one question, Haven Lifeline, perfect place to go got a bunch of people to thank. By the way, thanks to, uh, I got to thank uh, some people on our team. Uh, our team has just done a great job. OG, as you know, Lifehacker just recognized our show as one of the top 10 personal finance shows to listen to in 2021. I think we're number three or four on that list. I don't know if they're in any type of order, but we'll take that. Thank you. And that means that not just Gertrude, the room mom, but Karen, who books great guests like Rachel Richards, Taylor, who writes much of of this show, gives us great notes to work from. Speaking of notes, if you followed along on our guide, our stacker guide to these shows, uh, Brooke Miller, who's also lighting it up, the new member of our team, doing a fantastic job on the guide and on the show notes so that you've got everything that you need there. Also, she's relaunching something you and I did a long time ago, OG. She and Kevin Bailey relaunching the Stacking Benjamins blog that we put to bed maybe seven years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, Brooke, with her background as a certified financial planner, and Kevin worked for both Vanguard and TIAA. So a lot of knowledge coming to the Stacking Benjamins blog. But they're also doing a great job, of course. Steve Stewart always does great putting it together. And I don't want to say anything about Doug because he's standing right behind me and you know what'll happen to his ego if we do that. But uh, lots of people to thank. Also, thanks to you if you left us a review. And by the way, I've got so many books and I have, and we've gotten a lot of very nice reviews, but I've had very few people write me to tell me that they left us a five-star review. There's so many reviews that we're really honored by. This one is by T. Ike, five stars, just right. Once upon a time, there was a girl looking for financial education. She went on the hunt for the right podcast. The first podcast she discovered was too boring. The second podcast was too focused on saving by way of deprivation. She tried one last podcast and found that to be a great mix of education and entertainment. So she consumed all the content. Thank you, Stacky Benjamins, for making a podcast that is just right. I wish I could write like a T. Ike. Thank you for that. And mom has that one on the refrigerator today as we speak. All right, that's going to do it for today. We'll see all you back here Wednesday. Go stack some Benjamins, peeps. Doug, let's bring this baby home. What should we have learned today? Well, Joe, I'm excited to give another great review. How about this one? 
first, take a lesson from our headline. Quitting your job with just a little work, you might be headed for the job of your dreams. But get your health care, emergency fund, and retirement options squared away first. Second, take a lesson from Rachel Richards. Don't rely on one source of income. Start looking for multiple income streams. But the big lesson? I figured it out. Rachel isn't actually talking about passive income, but rather mullet income. Hard work up front and party in the back. (laughs) To learn more about our guests and for more resources, you can head to our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. To learn more about Rachel Richards, check out one of her best-selling books, Money Honey, or Passive Income, Aggressive Retirement, wherever books are sold. Want a deeper dive on today's show with expanded links to more info on these topics? Of course you do. Subscribe to our stacker and you'll get complete show guides delivered to your inbox for the next day's podcast. It's like playing the home game, but we all win. How do you get this goodness? Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash stacker to sign up for free. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2021, and is created by Joe Saul Seahide. Our producer is Karen Rapine. The show is written by Taylor Stevens with help from Joe and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. After you listen, check out our show notes page written by our website manager and blog editor, Brooke Miller. Brooke and Joe also collaborate on a guide to the show and with lots of extras we couldn't include on today's podcast. Heck, they'll also throw in some life money lessons from Joe and it's all free. It's called The Stacker and you'll find it at stackingbenjamins.com forward slash stacker. Once we get all of this goodness bottled up, it goes over to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart, who helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to talk about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude is the room mother in our Facebook group, The Basement. She also is our social media coordinator, so say hello when you see us posting online. Here's a weird fact. She and Tina Eichenberg are never in the same room at the same time. For a URL that'll take you right to our Facebook group, by the way, type stackingbenjamins.com forward slash basement. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, saying until next time, spray and neuter your pets. Remember when your kids were going to school and you had to go school shopping and you had to get things like notebooks and backpacks yes. and crayons yes. and all that stuff. Well, nowadays, when you have a high schooler, you get AirPods and Apple Pencils and Smart Folios and 11-inch iPad Pros. <laughs> oh, my God.
Yeah. Alex's iPad is almost dead. So we figured this one ought to get them through high school. <clears throat> they just refreshed the iPad models earlier this year. So he should be good with it for another four years. This one he got in middle school, fifth grade. So, and since that's effectively his, all of his school, we don't have much of yeah. a choice. They do have a technology fee one where you can like use one from school. It's 300 bucks a year. And that's, you just get an iPad and keyboard, Bluetooth keyboard, but it's not Apple branded. Yeah. They're like, and you can only put the apps on it that we say, basically these four apps. Yeah. The kids are like, yeah, sure, dad. School only. Yeah. You can't put Stardew Valley on it. I don't know what that is, but it sounds amazing. It's cool. It's, it's a game I play every time I get on an airplane. And then I'm like, oh, it's been three hours. Wait a minute. Hold on. Oh, nice. That's a good game then. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's another game that I played for quite a while that was also that was like that. You know, I like these are those games I never have time for at home because they're like um, building on stuff. So Stardew Valley looks like an old, I don't know if Nintendo game or, mm-hmm. or whatever. They're like little 8-bit characters. And you're this dude and you inherited your grandfather's farm. And you've got this little tiny farmhouse and all this land that needs to be worked. And you've got like an ax and there's a town off next to you and you, uh, you, you go into town and you buy some seeds and you plant some crops and every morning you go out and water it and then you make the land better around it. So your farm gets a little bit better and then you sell the crops. And when you sell them, you get more money so you can put in sprinklers so that you don't have to water them and it slowly. And then you get like these ovens and, and it just, you're just, it's kind of Minecrafty. Yeah. But it's super fun. It is a super fun game. There was another racing game that I played for a while before that, where you manage a racing team. Every time I get on a airplane, I would manage this team and you've got these drivers and I had this driver who was fantastic as an example, driving for me, who was just a complete diva and always wanted to renegotiate his contract. So you're managing like when they should take their pits and uh, what their setups are, but they're driving and I had this one driver who was this young phenom and uh, she, she would always, she would either win or spin out like in the second lap. She'd either <laughs> do something really dumb. but Just basically you, like how those people are. But yeah. 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 And then you've got these sponsorships and your sponsors say, hey, we're only paying you if your driver finishes fifth place or above, you know, and then she spins out and you're like, oh, great. Well, there's some money down the tube, but uh, that one's called MM Mobile 3. So a cut Stardew Valley and MM Mobile Three, good good plane games. Okay, I love how we start off with y- you talking about your uh, your kids' school stuff, and I find a way to transfer that into video games. Well, most of my kids' school seems like it's video games now because they're always on their iPad. Could you imagine when we were kids? You know, your parents would like walk in the living room, and you just have to shut off the Nintendo really fast. Like I'm doing my homework. Now the kids are like, I'm doing my homework, Dad. Like on their iPad. Like, how do you know? You have no idea. There must be some program that you can have, though, that shows, like, what they're looking at on their iPad. Oh, I'm certain there is. Some some total spyware thing. I have no desire to watch what my son looks. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month, and I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person, Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, 
you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life, and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org celebrate, and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.